0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to Outspoken. This is episode 56. I'm your host, Justin White. And my guest this week is, um, someone who was introduced to me indirectly by, um, uh, my f- friend, my friend of my mom, uh, Doug, who was, uh, who had two episodes, numbers 31 and 32. So this is Doug's friend, Rob. Um, who is uh, something of a sustainability expert. Uh, He has a great deal of knowledge about the history of all the things that led up to what we call sustainability and all that sort of environmental awareness stuff. And then he also has a very interesting take on technology and how we use it and how he specifically chooses to use it. Um, So that's largely what we talked about. And I think it was a great conversation and uh, jam-packed with all kinds of good stuff. And uh, have you ever wondered what a hard-boiled egg rolling around in a bowl sounds like in reverse? Um, Let's find out, and then we'll talk to Rob.
1: You know, a lot of the people who have been writing books recently critiquing technology are people who were former tech enthusiasts. Mm -hmm. And I have never, I would never have categorized myself as a tech enthusiast, at least as it's, uh, as, as you think of it now. Um, but I've always in the past throughout my entire life, I've always been, um, I've always had a certain view of technology in that I considered What effect it had on my health and well being, mental and physical health.
0: Right from the start, you were thinking about that? Yeah, because
1: I grew up, my mother was very kind of a health obsessive. Okay. From a very early age, I had uh, a mother who, in the 1950s, was into health.
0: Was she like a hypochondriac or was she just interested in.
1: I think she was interested in not dying. Okay. That's the best way I put it. I think, I mean, I think that was the root of it, and I can say that now she's not with us, but. Most I, people are interested
0: in not dying, I think. Right,
1: but I think she just, took it much more seriously than most, and, okay. and at a time when it wasn't something that you thought about in terms of, like, longevity and this. Right, thing, that was, yeah, not in the 50s. But I think, um, uh, in, and I just heard this recently from my uh, uncle, that their wedding reception in 1951 took place at a vegetarian restaurant. That's awesome. In Crown Heights, Brooklyn. Now, wow, that's crazy to think there was a vegetarian restaurant. I thought can... the same thing. And she started reading Adele Davis, who I'm not sure if you've heard of her I've
0: only heard her name i can't I can't really place yeah
1: she was nutrition. one of the first authors to really write about nutrition in a serious way and first most uh, first widely read okay uh, person who seemed to know something I mean, about nutrition right uh, so my mother was a uh, very much um follower of hers, and uh, I grew up in a home where health was um Front and center, primary, um, and so I mean, I remember at age three, uh, we were being fed, um, you know, supplements, uh, wow. bone meal, uh, brewer's yeast, wow, um, wheat germ oil, um, some kind of brown liquid that looked like mol- <laughs> kind of molasses with all kinds of vitamins in it. And, uh-huh. um, what else did we have? Anyway, she put wheat germ in everything.
0: What was that like as a kid? To have, did you know that? That was not normal,
1: or did you? Was that? Um, uh, I know other families didn't put wheat germ into everything, mm-hmm. but but I didn't think anything. Uh, we we did everything differently, pretty much. Okay. And so yeah, we have an, I an unusual family. All right. So so food was part of it, and also I was um, very active. You know, I was a free range child, and actually a lot of people my age were a free range child. Yep. If if uh, if if kids were like we were were let were run loose. Now, the parents would be arrested. You totally, know, the, the, yeah. the, We would run into the woods. Yeah, I uh, think my so,
0: generation was the last. Yeah. that was allowed to do that. Yeah, yeah. Which was real sad to it me. It is.
1: It is quite sad. Uh, so that so the the physically and then I, I was also um, very active in sports. Uh, we were my parents met on bicycles. They were doing long distance mm. bike riding in the late forties. Wow, that's so cool. They had their own uh, Raleigh bikes, which apparently was exotic at the time mm, french uh british oh they're british uh, sorry british oh i was uh,
0: thinking sorry i was thinking peugeot for some reason there's a trans they had
1: year shifts which again this was a really a big deal they had a little three-speed thing and they were um you know they were very they were also mixed doubles champions in brooklyn or something they were really very much we were, we were you know sports jews okay and of course you know as seinfeld would say there's a two types of Jews. There's book Jews and money Jews. Okay. To which I would add There's sports Jews, type, right? Okay. I and like that. so, right.
0: So who who are the most who are the most noteworthy sports Jews?
1: Oh, um, let's that, see. That Mark, Mark Spitz, the swimmer. That, right. Uh, Hank Greenberg, the baseball player. Okay. Who do you play for? I'm not sure, actually. That, Sorry. Right. Um, uh, let's see. Other, uh, uh, there was um on the New York Mets, uh, anyway, I can't remember actually all of them off the top of my head. That's but, okay. I, but, I just like the, yeah. I like
0: that classification. I wanted to see how much research you'd, you know, if, if you had, had some backing, uh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, your family's into sports. So, so there was this sense of, um, that health was really the most important thing. Food, exercise. I, uh, started, um, we had a lake this is in New Jersey, and I skated on the lake and um, rode bicycles and very active. And then actually I eventually started training as a figure skater. Mm, cool. So I actually my, uh, eventually had a career as a professional figure skater, wow. but it all started with all of this. And in terms of the uh, the technological aspect of it, I guess you could say that um, we, um, you know, first of all, the bicycle is one of the great technologies that has ever been invented. In fact, in, in England, I think they did a recent uh, survey, and it was determined that the bicycle was the greatest invention of the last 250 years. That's cool. That's, is, I just heard that.
0: That'd be hard to argue with. I mean, it's, yeah. still, it's gone mostly unchanged for the last hundred plus, Right, right. right. It was great the first time.
1: Yes, uh, So, so uh, and also uh, there was uh, a situation where we lived next door to a swamp, and of course swamps have mosquitoes. And right. at this time, this is in the 60s, um, there would be a pickup truck that would come into the neighborhood in the summer that had a big uh, unit perched on the back of it, a kind of a pump. And it'd be pumping out, it'd come and kind of make this chugging sound, tw- 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 you know, from a distance you could hear it, and then you could see this billowing white smoke coming out of it. Mm. And uh, that was DDT. No way. That's right. And they would spray the DDT. Just right down the street. Just... Yeah, and of course my mother was like, get in the house, get yeah. in the house, screaming, shut the windows, and all the kids would stay out and play <sighs> in it. And this is, insane. this is, so, you know, there were these certain certain um, things that I do recall from childhood. Another one would be where my mother, uh, we were watching TV and she would say, don't sit so close to the TV, you're going to ruin your eyes. Mm-hmm. I heard and that this, one. This is actually, I've, I've asked this to, to quite a number of people and many people have said they heard the same thing. Yeah, from their moms right. mostly. So that's really stuck with me. Okay. Um, it stuck with me. All the way until I first started using a computer and it really made me think. Uh, you know, you don't when you're young you remember things like mm-hmm. that. There's some kind of uh, television death rays, you know, coming at you and you right. better stay away or you're gonna you're gonna go blind. And actually within two years I did have glasses. So, you know, who knows? Two years after you right? started
0: using a computer?
1: No. Um, after I after, after, oh, after, after she after gave that, that warning okay. after that warning, I now had uh, glasses. So I'm thinking, well, maybe I <clears throat> sat too close. Or maybe, so, yeah, you
0: yeah. know, this power of suggestion, you know, yeah, right. caused you to. <laughs> exactly. Sh- okay.
1: So, so, anyway, so health was uh, one aspect throughout my entire life, but it started in childhood. Uh, and then we would, you know, um, if we did watch TV, um, we'd watch Jack Lalane. Mm-hmm. There was even this guy named Richard Hittleman who had a yoga television program. okay. Okay. That was the only TV you'd watch? Is like health, health well, not only, no, no, no but we did. We, okay. we watched other things, but okay. sometimes we had to watch uh, while you were on a bongo board. You know what a bongo board is? That is a, um, it's it's like a, a skateboard, uh-huh. but it has a roller that would be right in the middle, in the middle and you have yeah. to balance on it. Yeah. Right? So can you, if you can kind of picture this, if you're going to watch TV, you've got to be doing something like on the bongo board. That's right? amazing. Yeah, it's funny. So we did have we had an unusual family. Uh huh. And but the so the health uh, health and well being was always a, a big concern and anything that affected that, uh, whether it was technological or not, we you know, we had um my father was into um unusual um vehicles. Uh everyone else was driving these enormous cars and he went and got a um, a Carmen Ghia. Uh-huh. Which is you know, at a Carmageddon. I do, yeah. And this was in 1959, right? So we had a this little, s- small, foreign car, uh-huh. and everyone else was driving around in, like, these huge, masses. This massive, is in New massive, Jersey. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I just... And, and also, we had a stick shift, and everyone else had an automatic, and I always thought, why do you need an automatic? Mm-hmm. It just seemed like, well, what else do you have to do right, while you're driving? Yeah. You know, and a stick shift looked like fun. I mean, I didn't drive, but it looked like a lot of fun. And it just seemed like everyone was like maybe a little bit too, you know, coddled or or a little Mm -hmm. bit lazy, you know, that they couldn't, uh, didn't have the energy to do a stick shift. Use that other pedal and use your arm. Yeah. 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 So these are all, these were experiences that affected me throughout my life. But then there was the other part, which came late, you know, uh, the fact that I spent a good part of my childhood. You know, running in the woods, I, I spent a lot of time in nature as, mm-hmm. at an early age. And so that also uh, affects me, and I think it affects everyone. Yep. If you come in contact with the natural world, as you may have.
0: I love the natural world, yeah, yeah. and I, I miss it when I'm not in it. Yeah. I mean, so, and we're it's, always in it, but we're, we're, we build these walls and structures with you know every inch of every space we can find. So right. the tree out front makes me happy, but I wish there were more. You know and fewer sidewalks and streets
1: well and then I, look it's it's now been established that um you know we have uh, e o Wilson came up with the term biophilia and uh, it's the the love of uh, of nature mm-hmm. uh, but um I have a theory that um, having contact with the natural world when you're when you're very young can do a lot to inoculate you against Getting too techno obsessive when you get older. I think you're right. You know, I think you have it, the memories of that experience, it, it, it does yeah. affect you. Um, and so, a good another part of my uh, part, of my first career really was as a as a figure skater. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I don't want to go to too much with that because it's really a big part of my life. But putting that aside, um, I got very interested in uh, things related to what used to be called ecological design. Which eventually evolved into what became known as appropriate technology, and that is now today known as sustainability. Okay. Now a lot of people don't know the history of sustainability, but that is um, the the general flow of things. Were there
0: other steps in between those main three, or were those the those? Are well, the main this is th-
1: where this is where the this is the intersection between um, human, you know, the human enterprise. The economy and mm-hmm. the natural world mm-hmm. is uh, the idea that the type of technology that is employed, um, you want to have a technology that has the least negative side effects, the least impact, negative impact on the natural world. Right. That, that would be ideal. So that, that was something that I took an interest in. And I think it may have started really... Uh, Maybe you could even say it started with the fact that my father got a small foreign car. Mm-hmm. You know, when everyone else is driving around in these enormous cars. Right. Uh, but um, I had a similar experience because yeah. we,
0: we had a little Toyota Corolla wagon and lived near Detroit, as I said. And we <laughs> right. Had, you know, nothing. That's but blasphemous. GM. Yeah, <clears throat> and even more so, my grandfather. My my mom's dad was an automotive engineer. My dad's dad was an automotive worker, like a factory worker. Oh really? So, so you're really the real deal. Yeah, we we come from our roots are I mean my my grandfather has something like 25 patents in in automotive design and he's known for the I think the biggest is the anti-lock brakes. He's he, was, he mm-hmm. and yeah, he and one of his co-engineers are responsible for what led to today's anti-lock brakes. It's very impressive. Yeah. So cars were um, you know, American cars were the real thing and everything else was an invader in in terms of our, you know, but we lived in Ann Arbor, so it was a little oh, more Oh, it's a little far you know, You're allowed. But within our even within our family, you know, there was some strife around that. My my mom needed, you know, assistance, financial assistance once to buy a car and her dad was like, "Well, I'll get you an American car. I'm not going to help you buy another Toyota, you know. So he, uh, she wound up with a Cutlass Sierra, which wound up being a total piece of crap. But um, anyway, and the Corolla went forever, you know. Yeah. Kind of for 14 years. Really? 200,000 miles or something. Wow. Yeah.
1: That's impressive.
0: Yeah. Impressive. Um, anyway, sorry well, to interrupt.
1: Well, no, it's all right. I, um, you know, I was talking about the, um, how.
0: Just uh, what the influences were that because, led to your. Because, you
1: know, there's the environmental movement or track. And, you know, through most of the history of environmentalism, Mm -hmm. you know, technology was not really uh, thought about in terms of that. It was really in terms of protecting pristine nature and that sort of thing. This is a different track I'm talking about. This is where I think that it was necessary to start thinking about uh, technology in terms of what effect it had on the natural world. Mm -hmm. And the two were kind of you had to find some kind of equilibrium, you right. know, between the two, and so that that was an interest beginning. You know, even perhaps when I was twelve, even, you know, when I first came across um, a Time Life book uh, on ecology when I was you know in the uh, <clears throat> in the um, s- the seventh grade or whatever, mm-hmm. um, and I think uh, I'm trying to think of what happened next, but I, th- I remember having you know in you know, 12 or 13 years old, a sense that nature really uh, was something uh, sacred and there was something important about it that, that no one had really taught me. I just kind of knew, having mm-hmm. been kind of kind of a like childhood naturalist, you know, being in the woods. And actually by age 10, I was identifying plants, uh, a lot of plants mm-hmm. in the woods and in, uh, in the garden and so on, um, being kind of a... Uh, Uh, having kind of a scientific mind, I guess you could say. I had... It was kind of in the family. My uncle was actually a biochemist. Um, But anyway, going back to this uh, kind of um, idea that um, throughout my life, I've been interested in how technology affected me physically, my health, well-being, and also how it affected the natural world. And the third part, which really didn't... um, come into play until about 20 years ago with the um, advent of the internet is when it started um, making me realize how important my social um, connections with people were and how this new technology was going to affect me in that way. Mm-hmm. And that's become that's been a big, uh, big issue for me over the past 20 years and has really led to my wanting to um, uh, develop a kind of philosophy about how to operate in the world, um, you know, as a sane person, technologically now and in the future, mm-hmm. because of this period that we that's that we've just um, not just that's been going on for the past twenty years. But that's still yeah.
0: very recent. I mean, we did just enter it in terms of you know in any sort of historical framework.
1: So there's a that's the, so actually my my thinking through this actually it's really been in the past two years that I've really been putting a great deal of thought into this. Uh, the um, uh, this uh, I was living in New York, and living in New York, you get the full effect of um, the technologies that have, have developed the communication technologies, you know, the cell phones and mm-hmm. the and so on, because you're around so many people, and you can see how people's behavior has changed and how it uh, has caused people's overall behavior to change in terms of uh, how they interact socially. Uh, whether it be walking down the street and somebody's texting and runs into you or the fact that people didn't seem to be having people over as much or having parties. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there was this, uh, you know, everything... People walk their
0: dogs without looking at them?
1: (laughs) For example. Mm -hmm. etc. So, you know, it's disturbed because I really felt that being a very social person, uh, I felt that... um, I had to develop a, a philosophy in which uh, I, I had to decide. that th- I, I had to think about technology in terms of what effect it was having on the things that was, were important to me. Mm-hmm. And then I, I started thinking how uh, the Amish, um, how the Amish uh, operate, and they have this uh, ordnung they call it, and. Sorry, what is it? Ordnung. 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 And the the way the Amish work, a lot of people think of the Amish as being anti-technology when they're not in fact at all. They're just particular. They're Mm -hmm. very selective about their technologies. Okay. So one of the uh, ideas is that uh, because they're so radically communitarian, that community is the most important thing to, Mm -hmm. to the Amish, that anything that's going to impede that or degrade it or affect it in some negative way, they really have to really consider it so they they will gather and discuss the uh, whether this is a technology they want to have around or not that's cool and so for example a telephone well if one of the um, very very commonly the Amish will and I by the way I have not lived with the Amish I only know this because I you know I read about it Mm -hmm. Um, but they will visit their neighbors in the evening you know, mm-hmm. This is a very common thing. It is what people used to do. Right. Actually, you go visit your neighbors uh, at the end of the day. You may have dinner, or entertain, whatever. And uh, the telephone, they felt would uh, would be, be too much of a distraction to that. But they decided that you could have the telephone in the barn. You know, they, mm. you could have it outside of the home. That's cool. Not because they nutrition. knew they could see, they could foresee the possible things. The I car, like they said, no, no, no cars because. It's too easy to get into a car and just drive away huh. and leave.
0: That was the reason? Yeah. Huh. Because uh, that breaks up the community. Yeah. Okay.
1: You see, in other words, they have a value. <clears throat> yeah. And they really uh, look carefully at each technology in terms of how it affects that. Yeah. Now, m- what I just laid out is I have really three areas of interest, which is my health and well-being, mm-hmm. uh, how it affects the natural world, and how it affects my uh, sense of community and... The, Direct interaction with other people, right, and people's behavior. So <clears throat> that's really the that's sort of the the essence of, of this. Um, this my idea is that people have to uh, at this point in uh, our development, because we're kind of in this tech saturated state. Mm-hmm. And I didn't get I didn't make up that term. That was a term that I borrowed from the Pew uh, Research Institute. Mm-hmm. They did a study and uh, wrote a report and said. There's a great sense of tech saturation. Yep. I thought, okay. So what is the, uh, the solution to that? Which is that people need to start thinking about what their values are and adopting technologies and using them based on what they actually believe instead of just going along and using a technology because everyone else is. Right. Not because they need it. Not because it solves a problem that they have. Right. But because... Uh, there's so much social pressure to do it. And the problem is now is that we're at a point, I feel like, uh, we can't continue doing that. And, you know, there's a cycle, which is that there's... Initially, when a technology comes along that's very disruptive and extremely convenient or whatever, is at the beginning, there's this kind of frenzy, this delirium. And then there's a... uh, What happens is it gets normalized. And once that happens there's kind of a feeling that it's being enforced. You know, you have to do it, otherwise people will think there's something wrong with you. Right. And then 15 years later, all the negative side effects suddenly appear and everyone's like, oh my God, um, social media is not uh, 100% good uh, in every way. And then there's a lot of, um, you know, uh, hand-wringing. so yeah. so I'm saying, you know, at the time when the technology is in, in, introduced, mm-hmm. is it possible to, to stay clear-headed and at that time be able to say, you know, uh, I really feel like I can see, I can foresee that this technology is going to create problems. I think I'm going to abstain from it. Or I'm only going to use it in this way. Mm-hmm. And so that's essentially what I've been doing. Trying
0: to design a... a Way to do that. Well, that's for, what, for what I've done do it for that?
1: myself. In other words, I've developed a a set of guidelines for, for myself. For yourself, okay. And I think that that people might even do that themselves if they had a uh, you know uh, an approach and you know, a right.
0: means to do that. Or A handbook, as you as you put it. earlier. Really. Yeah. Uh,
1: so that's what I've been. I, I feel like I've I've had a chance to look through my entire life now and see what my relationship to technology has been. Mm-hmm. And this is how I've kind of broke it down: these three different areas. There are lots more, of course. uh, Any technology which I feel like is dehumanizing or makes me more into more Mm machine-like behavior, I I try to avoid
0: that too. What would be some examples of those?
1: Well, (laughs) I mean, for example, um, even the computer, uh, or you know, and I use a laptop every day, Mm -hmm. and I know that just by deciding to do that, that I become more like everyone else, yeah, in the way that I think. I'm starting to think like the mach- I become more like the machine. Yeah, but I realize that there are certain compromises I have to make because, uh, I mean, I tend to adopt the technology at the last possible moment if I feel, feel like there's a there's too many downsides. But in some cases, you actually you have to mm-hmm. um, to function. Yeah, and because I'm a uh, uh, one of the things I do is produce events, uh, and uh, you know, I have to appear somewhat normal
0: yeah and you also and, have to have and, a and, facebook page probably, and like put the word out somehow or, well, no or maybe not facebook
1: but actually well we'll get to that in a moment okay but, <laughs> uh, um and so <clears throat> so the um what uh sorry right, took sorry took you off track sorry right. so the main uh, the main thing is that uh in terms of my uh career that uh, i feel like i have a unique perspective or a i should say not the usual perspective on technology is that i spent so much of my uh career focused on um you know the, the sustainability world mm-hmm. so that kind of shaped a lot of how i think and that uh, because nature has been an important um, um, influence or mentor to me i tend to think that it's very useful to uh, know some of the basic fundamental rules of, of nature and of human nature. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, for example, if you start messing around with nature, uh, if you don't uh, believe in uh, physics, you're going to end up with climate change. If you start uh, pretending that people don't have to have direct, connect- d- direct contact with other humans, you're going to end up with mental illness, mm-hmm. which is you're starting to see now with kids who uh, in their teens are not spending time with other people, they're just sitting on their beds looking at, a, at, a, at, their, at their smartphone, mm. you're starting to see you know, 70% increase in, uh, in suicide rates, 70% increase in depression among that generation. Just
0: so, in the last 20 years or
1: something? No, less, no, way less. That's uh, because people are pretending that you don't have to be in contact with other people directly. You know, there's some more convenient ways of doing it. Mm -hmm. But no, we don't change that quickly. Technology changes quickly, we don't change that fast. talking about ray Oldenburg, who wrote a book called the great good place and he is uh like a sociologist who's a, at the third place is a t- concept that he came up with which starbucks actually adopted um which in which he's referring to these places that people would go to run into other people throughout history you know whether the cafes coffee shops mm-hmm. beer gardens or bistros or whatever and or taverns in the united states and those places have dim- diminished greatly. The clubs that people all belong to have all yep. diminished, and then you had the television. So you now you had the, the suburbs, you had the car, yep. and then you have now the, the television In-house kind of house entertainment. You didn't have to you clock. didn't have to go outside at all, right? And the television became the uh, the educator, you know. So it taught you how to be a consumer and and so on. And that's how people now didn't go out anymore; they would just stay and watch television. Yeah. So um, now, so this kind of brings us up to the issue. Remember, I was talking about that I'm a very social person, and so it's now it's 1998, okay. And I've just moved to the Bay Area. I was in New York. Um, I mean, my you know my his, my my work history was um, you know I was. a, In terms of sustainability, I was kind of a consultant early on in the green building world, in renewable energy. And then I was in New York uh, working in the early days of green building and uh, had the opportunity to work with a company called Healthy Properties, Mm -hmm. which was one of the first green building consultants ever. And there was the first green building showroom ever. And my job was to bring people up there and introduce people to like bamboo flooring and, you know. That's cool. Full, full spectrum lighting, or you know, whatever. Uh-huh. And uh, I introduced, every, you know, a lot of the major people in New York, in the media, in uh, city government, in developers uh, to this. Uh, meanwhile, I got sick working in that building because we were we were working in a sick building, and I got, uh, you know, I got uh, shingles, and I think I passed a gallstone, and um,
0: just from stress and bad environment. And- because
1: I was in a, we were we were actually even though the company. Was a kind of green building company. Yeah. we were subletting in a sick building at, at, at the time.
0: What does a sick building mean? Well, exactly? a building where like has radon and well, no, actually,
1: well, a lot of buildings have poor air quality, right? Uh, as a result of um, you know the, the the materials off gas, you know, yeah. vault organic compounds like the the foam in this sofa, yeah, and uh, carpets, and carpets, everything. and so on, so forth, and people are maybe smoking and it may be coming in yeah. and sometimes they even put the um, the trucks are idling by yeah, the air right intake under the yeah it's seriously
0: <laughs> i know i and, see that it's and, incredible and
1: and, and then uh, i don't know whatever the reason was i got this condition and i and then then the real capper was that the one of the partners of the business uh, a friend of his was good friends with trump and the next thing is that we, uh, we uh, that trump wanted us to move into his building on wall street 40 wall street so uh, at that point, I was like, oh, I already knew about Trump, by the way. This is 1998. 19- this either? is 97. Okay. And uh, I have it all on video with him kind of going off about how, you know, environmental his building is. Uh-huh. And uh, it was built in 1929. So it actually was, uh, you know. Um, but at that point, um, uh, I had this condition and I actually, I had to find a doctor. to, And they, of course, think there's something wrong with you mentally. You know, when you you're talking about a, you know a chemical sensitivity, they right. think it's your in your mind. Yeah, immediately. And I went to I found this doctor, Doctor Buffalo, was nice. her name, and she said, uh, "Look, um, she's a Gulf War syndrome specialist." Oh wow! Yeah, and so she said, "Look, I can I can cure the problem, but you just have to you know jog for you know two hours a day in a 150 degree sauna." Uh, <laughs> Sounds awesome. Uh, for for a month for a month and only $7,000. So oh what a right. deal. Right. So at that point and she said or you have to go to another city where there's where it's fresher air or something. Okay. So at at that point I moved to San Francisco. Oh okay. That was in 98. So when I got here uh you know, I didn't know the dot com boom was going on. Right. Now I had known that the internet existed, but I wasn't really I wasn't using it. Mm-hmm. I really didn't have any interest in it. And uh, I did, I was using a computer in the office, but I just, it just, I did, I didn't feel it was necessary. Mm -hmm. But when I came out here, suddenly, within a a short amount of time, I realized there was something very strange going on. I don't know if you were here.
0: Yeah, I moved here in 92.
1: All right, so you were here. Yeah. So you know that there was something some kind of this kind of mass psychosis going yep. on. This, this this delirium. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I only, if I tell people this who were not here, they go, well, "What are you talking about?" Yeah. But yeah, if the people who were here know for sure that there was probably no uh, other time in American history where things changed so dramatically and so quickly in such a short amount of time. I agree. Um, yeah. So I was very disturbed by the whole thing. I didn't share the euphoria. And yeah. I did, of course, I didn't tell anyone that because, you know, to do so would be like sacrilege. You know, would be like saying you were a communist in yeah. the fifties. What's wrong you know? with you? How you yeah. yeah, it would be very bad. So I kept it to myself. Um, but, uh, and it was at that point that I had this feeling, I had a sense that things weren't going to turn out well. <laughs> that was just I had a gut feeling, and the reason is because I'm such a social person, in which for me conviviality. You know, uh, having uh, you know a, a nice uh, dinner with people, conversation is a very important thing to me. Yeah, uh, I felt that this was moving in a different direction. And he, but here's the interesting thing about going back to brand for a second mm-hmm. is that in 1985, um, at that point, um, uh, Larry Brilliant came to Stuart Brand and said, "You know, we want to create this thing." Uh, this online online network. Who's Larry Brilliant? He was a... Uh, I don't know if he was a software designer. He's now a, a, a physician. Okay. I think. But he came to Stuart Brand, and uh, they started The Well. Okay. Do you know about The Well? The...
0: I don't know much. But... It,
1: it, was a, it, it's, it stands for the Whole Earth Electronic Link. Okay. I don't know that. It was really one of the first like major online communities. Okay. And this is 1985. And... Uh, uh, so this Stuart Brand, now one 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 thing I should say about him is that he grew up in the 50s and one of the great fears of people growing up in the 50s was of being bombed into smithereens by the Russians, yep. by the Soviets. And so there was this great fear of computers. Um, these IBM mainframe computers were kind of the, um, the machine that was, op, you know, kind of... Powering the military-industrial complex, okay. and the um, this, this faceless bureaucracy and the the men in the gray flannel suits—you know—you get the, the picture. Yep. Yep. And that, one of the great fears that, that Brand had was uh, not uh, was not wanting to become one of those people in the gray flannel suits. Okay. Actually. And so the computer was seen as as evil, even when you think about uh, Mario Savio talking about the free speech, speech movement and how we have to crush the machine. You know, they're, they're talking about the computer. Yeah. But so here's the irony of this whole thing is the is really bad. And then, uh, you know, the Back to the Land movement, which I just talked about before, uh, starting in 1967, in which these 750,000 people lived on 10,000 mm-hmm. communes, that didn't work out very well because people just didn't um, know how to... Um, they didn't they want did, to work that hard. They did, right. They, they took a lot of drugs and had a lot of sex and didn't yeah. really, you know... Um, so since the one of the ideas of the counterculture was that they were gonna to, wanted to live in communal harmony together, mm-hmm. that kind of failed, that kind of fizzled out. Now the now we have uh the, the um a, a desktop computer, and this is where Brand again, uh I think he uh, was very influential in this because all those people who kind of followed him Follow, uh, came and joined the well and became part of this online community and everyone got the idea, hey, we don't need communes. We can do it online. right It's much more convenient. yeah. there's only one small problem.
0: It doesn't work. You know,' it's, it's, it's not an actual they're community. not actual people, yeah, but they, they kind of
1: put that aside. <laughs> yeah, and so that and is, so is everyone else. Exactly. and so so when uh, you know in 1998 came, I'm, I'm here, I'm living in Berkeley. Um, I'm seeing what's happening and, uh, I'm like, I'm nervous. I felt that the people who were creating this new world were of a certain particular personality. Mm-hmm. See, and I'm very interested in people. I'm very interested in personality. And I've, you know, I've studied the, uh, the Enneagram for f- 30 years. Okay, I don't know if you know the Enneagram. I don't know a lot about it, but I know, it. yeah, I certainly know it. I'm um, very early. I mean, I was one of the, you know, earliest people, um, yeah, I would say, you know, 1989. Mm-hmm. Um, there weren't many people who knew about the Enneagram at that time, especially back East. And, you know, um, the what I saw happening is I knew that there was a certain kind of people who had created the uh, Internet, um, you know, academics, um, you know, uh, scientists, or computer scientists, mm-hmm. um, software developers, you know, all the people that created what we now know as this, You know, this kind of computer revolution, we're of a certain type of people. And I mean, I I am generalizing, but generally speaking, we can agree that the hackers and a lot of these people who spend a lot of their time on computers and who developed it are of this particularly, you know, introverted personality that have the uh, attributes of liking to control, love information, Mm -hmm. and they like to control things and they like their privacy, mm-hmm. and they don't really like too much improvisation. They like everything kind of, you know. Right. And uh, who are, um, you know, uh, stingy with, that's not a good word, you know.
0: I know what you mean. They're with, economical. With everything. Yeah. Know, with everything.
1: Yeah. Um, and who aren't really necessarily, not in, in many cases, not really physical people, right. you know, they're very much in the head, and, you know, on, so on, on not our, socially yeah, adapted, yeah, aw- socially awkward, so now, yeah. I, I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, I want to say that this type, of, let's call them type five, <laughs> are people that I admire greatly, because they're some of the greatest thinkers, yeah. in history, you know, right. you know, um, Einstein, you know, and right. um, a lot of people I admire greatly, are, are five, uh, Buddha is a five, right.
0: but they're not who you invite to the party,
1: exactly, but yeah. now one thing though, is when those people, um, this is the problem is that if those people who I tend to see as having the condition of technophilia, which is not, uh, you know, defined as a medical condition, but I like to see it that way. Uh-huh. It, it, is, yeah, it is disease-like. Kind of, it is kind of like that. Um, I feel that, uh, the fives, the type fives who didn't come in contact with nature when they were younger, like mm-hmm. we were talking about before. Yeah. Uh, who are the most susceptible to technophilia because mm-hmm. of the way their minds are set up? That those people, th- these uh, technophiliac fives, are the people who created the computer revolution and who run a lot of these companies, you know, like Zuckerberg yeah. and and uh, Kurzweil and. that's yeah, really uh, Spur- interesting. With that's Brin a- and and all those people are these technophiliac fives, yeah. and they go back to Descartes. Descartes was the original one, you know. He w- he was like, uh, I think, therefore I am. Right. That is the technophilic, and uh, the whole world is a machine. Those are the people, yeah. not the fives in general, just those particular ones. Right. And so I knew when I got that, I just had a sense, because I knew the Enneagram, I kind of had a sense that these people were taking over. And in fact, they did. Yeah. They've actually created the world that we live in now for their own convenience. Isn't that amazing? Now, let me just point out that I am a, uh, I'm a different type. Uh-huh. You know, I'm what they call type seven, which is the, you know, Leonardo da Vinci was the most famous seven. Okay. You might be one too. Yeah. And they like, you know, they, they, they actually, when you think about the 60s, the 60s and the 70s were a seven era. They were the era of uh, creativity, of freedom, exploration, and, yeah. of, of, of sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and yeah. hedonism, you know, the, the thing, the um, and exploration and curiosity, liberalism, all the, all the things that sevens like. Yeah. And so the young people who grew up during that time even if they were like introverted, socially awkward people, became like sevens. Everyone started acting like that. Okay. Because it was the zeitgeist. It was the the world. They now, what has happened now, what I saw happening now, is that a whole generation came of age in... Uh, modeling a, fives. modeling Modeling fives. Yeah. So we have even people who are very extroverted and who are... Like social, social so on, butterflies are and... acting like those yeah, other people right yeah. so that's so my objection is that we've gotten out of balance we have the world has become too 5 five-ish yeah it's and all the all the um the, the, the texting and everything being online and everything being cyberspace and everything you know it's it's gotten away from the real world which is more comfortable for some people, you know, especially yeah. social people like me. And those people have taken over, and I object to it. Yeah, now, now I'm, I'm with you. But the so with the, but the thing, the question is, is that uh, one uh, that I feel that if we could just insert more of the seven quality yeah. into the world, it would balance things out a little bit. And that's really what the book is about: is about finding this balance, equilibrium between because we know this is not; it's not going to go away. Yeah. But becoming more cognizant, being more aware of the technologies that we decide to, to use because we don't want to become, um, get away from uh, our, our roots, our right. nature and human nature.
0: And the things that matter to us as individuals. Yes,
1: and, <laughs> and this is the, the last thing here, is that the, I feel that in talking to people over these last couple of years or so, is that there are a lot of people like myself who went along, a lot I mean, I won't say I went along because I didn't, but a lot of people went along with the whole thing because they felt the pressure was so tremendous mm-hmm. to conform that, that there was a fear of retribution. There was a fear of, of, of seriously, in terms of their credibility in terms yeah. of their be, be able to get work.
0: It's true. Uh, I mean, people will will look down on. like, what's wrong? Why don't, like, don't you have a... Or cell Luddite cell phone, or whatever they call yeah.
1: you. And so I, I started thinking, <clears> wait a second, can we rebrand this? Can we say now, can we say... Is it's possible that the people who are more um, you know thinking more and more common-sense sort of way about technology uh, and the people who are you know the hardcore obsessives they're the ones that are cuckoo right and to um, present it so that it's okay for you to be selective in your own way about which technologies you use without having to worry about people name-calling and right. you know things like that so that's that's really. Uh, <laughs> that's
0: the premise of the. That, that's really the premise of the book. Can I ask one? I really have one question that's kind of been sitting with yeah. me this whole time, yeah. which is: How do you incentivize someone, you know, to do to to live that way, or right. to live to incentivize yes. them away from yes. this compulsion to do the other? Well,
1: you need you need to know a, a, you need to know a few things. You need to know um, about um, you need to have some tools you know for example if someone calls you a name and someone is trying to enforce you know a certain a uh, label or whatever a, it is yeah. you have to be able to respond to them in a way that um in, in a in a you know in a calm sort of way it's Like if someone says oh are, 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 you're obviously a Luddite you know well I might say well what is a Luddite uh-huh. or <laughs> what do you mean yeah. what does that mean or I could say what well, um uh, well are you a hardcore techno obsessive or do you have technophilia you know if you have a if you advance advanced technophilia you know if you let it go too long untreated it can go to the brain and cause you know brain damage you know or or whatever you you say something that shows that you are uh not beneath them Mm -hmm. which is how apparently that's because you know it's, it's 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 an american taboo to not um um, to be quote unquote against progress, mm-hmm. and of course, progress is always technological. Yeah. So, so so, 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 the answer really is: How do you, how do you, uh, you have to have uh, a means of responding in an irrational way to people.
0: But, and, but yeah. the people like if we if if what we want is for more people to start paying attention to that yeah. and living that way. How do you how do you get that message out to those who? are addicted to the convenience or just want, they don't want it to change or they don't know that they want it to change.
1: Well, convenience is is the big problem, of course. Yeah. Is is that with convenience, uh, convenience is um, one of the essential things, or actually making things easier has been essential since the beginning of humanity. But at some point, uh, it it brings diminishing returns. Mm Mm-hmm. Like so, the
0: electric can opener,
1: it, right? <laughs> electric toothbrush. Yeah, is that you? Still, those are actually
0: effective because they vibrate the gums. Oh, is that that's right? what it's. Oh, yeah, thinking, it's yeah. not even <laughs> because it's because you're too lazy to move your hand yeah. itself. It's because the vibration is actually beneficial for gonna the keep, tissue. I'm going to keep that in mind. Yeah. So that's one technology that I. Well, uh, conv-
1: here the thing is, everything is governed by convenience now. Everything. Most prob- everything. The, yeah. But the problem is, is that you still continue to need to use your muscles in your body and we still need to use your brain
0: but they're making it so that you can use as few muscles as possible and as few brain signals as possible to do it
1: but as we know at some point we didn't need to uh really move your body much we had cars we you don't need to farm (laughs) you don't need to walk places so we, that's why people exercise, because they recognize that if you don't use your body, it's going to atrophy. Yeah. Now, the thing with automation and what's going on now is that you still need to use your brain, although people th- like the idea that they can outsource their memory to Google or...
0: To the phone or whatever, yeah. You
1: still do need to use um, your body. And uh, otherwise, uh, as Orwell would call it, we're going to become a, a brain in the bottle. Right. And so...
0: Well, our brains are atrophying at at a very rapid pace, based on this like nonstop checking out and nonstop, you Mm -hmm. know, just a world of diversion.
1: What I didn't say, by the way, is that the only things that I've used, that we might say, you know, in the contemporary world, is I have a laptop. Uh huh. Uh, I do searches on DuckDuckGo. Okay. I haven't used Google in probably six or seven years, although I was one of the earliest people on Google. I have. um, uh, uh, I use uh, Protonmail, okay, which is a Swiss uh, email server uh, group, and uh, I also use GMX, which is a German one. They don't track you at all. Right, uh, DuckDuckGo doesn't track you.
0: What do you do when you uh, receive a, something from a Gmail address? Because because they do track you, even if you're no, not.
1: I'm aware. Gmail. I do. I, I my my policy is basically to do whatever you can. Yeah. There's some things you have no control over, right. of course. Okay. Um, and then I also uh, occasionally, uh, I do have a, 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 a um, profile on LinkedIn. I don't use LinkedIn, mm-hmm. but I have a profile there. And occasionally I have to buy something like a plane ticket or something that I can only buy online. And that is, all, and I have, a, I have a flip phone. And that is all I use. I, and I, uh, again, because I don't have a smartphone, I have never done any of the things that you can only do with a smartphone. Right. I also have only texted once. my life that's an emergency and it's a new policy i have which is if it's an emergency i will text
0: that's a good policy
1: and so therefore um all the things that i did not mention and there are many yeah i have never done now in other words i've never been on amazon yeah i've never been on facebook i have never uh been on instagram you know i've never tweeted I have never used GPS. I mean, I, uh, but the if the funny, fun part is that I've been able to go through the last 20 years and people don't know that.
2: Yeah.
0: Well, and that's pretty impressive that you've been able to. People map. don't,
1: they don't know yeah. because I figured out how to, uh, you know, look normal. Like everyone, like Canadians, you know, okay. um, <laughs> you can pass and not draw attention to myself. Yeah. Because that, and that's really the answer to your question: is you have to, you have to be discreet and you have to be uh, clever to do it. But I think as time goes on, as we look and see how the people in Silicon Valley or whoever is deciding what our future is going to be is, do we really want that future that they are deciding, or do we want another future, uh, ecotopia, or you know something? Mm-hmm. And if we want a different future, uh, then we have to. Um, do what you feel is necessary to do to bring that future into being. your values are that you do not want to be mechanized you don't want to yeah. remain human that you want to um, n- not have a huge impact on the natural world, that you want to maintain your a sense of well-being right. and you want to have a convivial social life and actual conversation with other people then one has to start making decisions about which technologies you use that encourage the, those things
0: but people aren't Really yeah. in tune with their values, right? That's now. right, that's right. And true. they're not that's following right. that's they're, right. they're just being pulled. Yeah. And that is So what, that's so yeah. the same question is like how do you how do you incentivize a whole a whole mass of people to do to live a different way when they're not doing it in spite of the fact that they know it would be better for them?
2: You know?
1: Well I think, people, you know, in the last two years, since the <clears throat> it really happened in this way, it really started with Apple had a little problem with its investors because they were concerned about Uh, screen addiction with children Uh that started it in January of uh, 2017 then came Google had their problem with Europe and they had a whole issue and then the big coup de grace of course was when Facebook had the um, Cambridge Analytica Mm -hmm. issue and I think that was the first time there was kind of a chink in the the, the armor of this whole thing for the first time people could come out I I use that term Uh you know uh, not being gay but coming out and being able to say that you didn't agree with everything that was going along right? Uh, for the first time. And I think now the dialogue among people seems to be, you know, things, things seem to relax enough that people are actually s- ag- admitting that they don't like the way things are going.
0: Definitely. A lot more people are admitting it, but yeah. they're also still very much stuck in it. I know. They're, they're just like, I don't like it. I don't like how much I'm on my phone. Well, and then they turn well, and look at their phone.
1: Well, I have this book, um, this uh uh, was given to me, Jaron Lanier's new book, which uh-huh. is uh, the 10 arguments for, you know, the elimination of social media or something. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a takeoff on Jerry Manders' four arguments for the elimination of television, which he acknowledges. Okay. And here's Jaron Lanier, who's one of, uh, you know, a person of high repute in the tech world. I don't know if you know about him, but he's- uh, Just a little. He he coined the term virtual reality and is had one of the first virtual reality companies, and he's very highly respected. And uh, he basically says, "Get off social media now, all." Yeah, and he's he's considered to be a traitor by his uh, his colleagues. Yeah, I mean by his. Well, uh, he
0: he was on the inside, and he recognized the damage it can do, and yeah.
1: got out early. So I think that as people who are you know uh, influencers like that put out the word, yeah, that'll that, help. It's a downside. I would like to you know, to write a book that tells my story about how I developed my uh, way of th- um, my thought process. Uh huh. And I think. It, you know, not everyone operates on logic, but um, it might be that people start thinking, okay, uh, if I want to be consistent with my values, uh, like like the Amish. Yeah. And, you know, the title of my book tentatively is Funny, You Don't Look Amish. Nice. I like you know, that's, that. That's a te- that's a tentative title.
0: Yeah, I like it. <laughs>
1: That's good because I'm uh, I like the rem- the model even though I, it's I, a
0: great I, model. I didn't yeah. actually realize that was yeah. the foundation of it. I mean, I thought it really was anti-technology, and I think yeah. that's what almost everyone thinks. But it but you're saying it's pro-community. It's pro-community fundamentally. It's like
1: pro-community, and it's I call it techno-selectivity.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they yeah. every they use the yeah. butter churn. That's a technology. They use a horse-drawn carriage. That's you know. They're, but they're very selective they're selective but you i mean you can't look, get too far away very fast in a horse-drawn carriage
1: and i'm no authority on the amish i i just know enough to say and they also there is a part of the amish that they want to be separate from society yeah so they don't use electricity for that reason right uh but in general i love the idea that they are that they g- gather together and deliberate about whether they should use something or not instead of just Doing what everyone else—it's awesome. Does.
0: I mean, imagine that conversation in a neighborhood about leaf blowers. You know, hey, do you think this would be a good thing for any any one of us to have? You know, if there was a conversation about it beforehand, I think pretty pretty certainly it'd be like, no, Absolutely. I don't want that. Absolutely. I don't want you to decide when I have to hear that. Exactly. You know,
1: in fact, they've done did a study. I went in, where I was living in Westchester, that um, someone with a broom. Uh, I think they timed it to mm-hmm. see how much quicker the, <laughs> the, the uh, blower did it yeah. actually took about the same time or maybe even the, the broom was faster yeah and plus you didn't get the the pollution you the didn't get noise. the noise yeah. and you didn't get the um uh, the, the, the debris dust in the air being flawed. yeah being
0: kicked up everywhere but the property that you're
1: cleaning do mm-hmm. you know that in one half hour of a uh, leaf blower that motor produces the same pollution that a a pickup truck does in a year, or something like that. Some di- like
0: uh, like a half hour of running time at the same
1: as uh, as yeah. in a year of driving a uh, a pickup truck. I just read this. I can't.
0: That sounds that sounds far fetched, but I don't I don't doubt that they're check it out. They're badly yeah. polluting, and for me, the noise pollution is the worst yeah, of all. I terrible. can't
1: stand it. You can't get away from it.
0: No, and it's I mean that's the thing when there's no communal discussion. It's just like well, I'm going to start driving this car that has no muffler, you yeah. know. Or we decided to make cars louder, yeah. you know, to be tough and yeah. cool. Motorcycles that don't need to, you know, Harleys that set off car alarms when they go by, car alarms themselves, like, I, you know, I don't think it's okay for you to have an alarm on your car because what if you're not near it when it goes off? And I have to hear it for 25 minutes, you know. Well, so, I, I And by the way, all those th- things happened today, sorry. Yeah, exactly. Har- Harley right. went by my house, yeah. set off an alarm, it was, you know. So it's just like those are things you can't the leaf blower, the weed whacker, the you know jackhammer. Some of it's necessary, a lot of it's not. And and That's a right. lot of them That's there right. there are better alternatives. Absolutely. So uh, so thank you for bringing that that point to the fore and uh and I re- I like your philosophy a lot. I think it's when applied it would be really effective. I just don't think that very many people are in touch enough with their own Yeah. Values, their own relationship to nature or to community or to themselves or each, you know, there's a lot of stuff that sort of needs to be in place for, for somebody to have, to even set off on that path, I think. And or, then, but like yeah. you said, if you're like, if you're an influencer of any kind, maybe you can have a bigger impact.
1: Well, I, I have, a, I have a final solution, which okay. is a solution. Don't say that, but <laughs> the, but the fact is that uh, uh, I used to get mad at the people who were kind of uh, determining what our society is supposed to be like and what it's going to be like in the future with, you know, robotics and right. AI and and uh, so on and nanotechnology and yeah. and all the potential dangers there, that I I, I would get mad. Uh, what is with these people? Don't they aren't they able to see um, foresee any unforeseen consequences? Right. Like, well, it turns out this particular type of person I was telling you about, uh, like, seemed to not have any interest in the. These uh, uh, these potential consequences, and I I found out it's because they're interested in solving the problem, and that's all. Right. They don't actually take an interest in anything else other than the experience, the, the sensation of having solved the problem. Yeah, Which, It's not that interesting? Like how we got the atom bomb, right? It, it's precisely now. <laughs> um, so I my I changed my attitude. I started out, you know, being angry, you know, curmudgeonly and everything. And now, I might. My whole new take on this is that I want to help them.
0: That's great. That's a great, that's a sea change.
1: Now, what I mean by that is I understand that since these people are so disconnected from reality and disconnected from uh, nature and from maybe even their bodies, that maybe, you know, they could be taken on outward bound trips or, you know, given a yoga class, some way of getting them back in touch with with reality. yeah and then not watching so many science fiction movies because the problem with science fiction movies with these people is they watch them and instead of seeing them as a cautionary tale they go let's it's do a, it's that It's a
0: signpost for the gu- yeah a guidepost for the future like, we got to make that yeah every, i was saying that recently like almost every every technology came straight out of a sci-fi film from let's do like, that yeah, we could do that and then they do yeah anyway <laughs> well thanks rob it's really it's great to meet you and um, to hear your angle, I think it's a really good one and an important one. And um, I, I would like to read your book when you, when you get it finished. And, uh, and I like the title. Thank you very much. <laughs> so thanks for taking the time and making your way over here without an Uber or a, you know, cell phone or anything. It's, it's a. It. I like it. I like the old school analog method. I think we should bring it back. Thanks very much. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for listening, everybody. That's my new pal, Rob, talking about um, all kinds of stuff that I tend to agree with. And uh, although when I talk about it, I think I complain a lot and probably browbeat those whose behaviors I disagree with. Um, So I think his method's probably better. And um, maybe I learned a little thing or two from talking to him. And I hope you did too. And, uh, when his book comes out, I'm going to read it and I'll tell you about it when it happens. Um, if you would like to contact me and I would like you to contact me, my email is email at com. If you would like to go look at some pretty pictures on a f- uh, format called Instagram, um, you can find me at Outspoken underscore podcast. Um, You guys are the best. I hope you know it. And if you don't,
2: I'm going to tell you again. You're the best. I'll see you next week. Bye.